0: Republicans struggling to figure out their future in the wake of a blue crush in the 2022 midterms. This is the Balance of Power Roundtable, broadcast on WKXL, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, joined as always by former Democratic U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes and conservative commentator, analyst and consultant and media star Alicia Preston. Alicia, you are all over the airwaves everywhere these days. But unfortunately at the start of the show as much as we do want to talk about that top story which is Republicans <laughs> trying to figure out what the heck is going on it's equal parts tragic and a little bit amusing we do have to start with a news flash from the real world as we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon November 15th uh, Alicia you brought us some some breaking news from the real world and it is uh, of the very tragic variety
1: yeah. So it's just breaking in the last 30 minutes that two Russian missiles or rockets, they're still trying to figure out the details, have landed on a farm in Poland near the Ukrainian border, killing two people. Uh, Polish emergency officials have gathered. Uh, Estonia is reaching out. Uh, the nations around that area are starting to react literally as we speak, because as we all know, one of the biggest dangers here was what NATO's involvement would have to be if NATO land was struck. Well, NATO's land has
0: now been struck. And obviously the emphasis from the Biden administration has so far been exactly that, Alicia. And this administration and the staff who work within it we've had max bergman a former senior state department uh, official on this show to talk about our posture and our thinking toward ukraine before in the beyond politics podcast we know that their internal thinking is very much oriented toward that and avoiding kind of that pre-world war one guns of august scenario that could drag this into a wider conflict paul you've been part of these kinds of national security considerations before as a member of congress would you expect that that posture from the administration would continue and that their top priority would be working with NATO allies to prevent escalation in in making this into a NATO versus Russia conflict?
2: Well, the Biden administration has been pretty clear that they're doing uh, everything they can to contain this and not see it expand. Um, This, look, the, the Russians launched and have launched a A massive barrage of of missiles. They something like 85 missiles today, um, targeting Ukrainian infrastructure. This is especially um, it seems uh, retaliatory for the fact that Ukraine just uh, retook Kherson, driving uh, driving the Russians out. That's a bitter blow. But as a NATO member, Poland is party to the principle of collective defense. That's laid out in Article Five of the NATO Charter which states that an armed attack on one member, quote, is considered an attack against all allies. Now, arguably, this was not an attack on Poland. Um, uh, If uh, those who are seeking to de-escalate would say this was accidental, Russia uh, could uh, say we did not intend to strike Poland Um, we intend to strike the Nazis in Ukraine. Um, Article 5 has only ever been invoked um, once since the beginning of NATO, and that was following uh, 9-11. And what is important to note is that the language of Article 5 is very flexible. It allows each NATO member state to decide on what possible action should be taken should one of the organization's members be attacked. Um, So, you know there are a number of responses available one response could be send more nato troops and equipment to poland and and ukraine in response to this um uh it is it is highly unlikely that this this errant missile strike um although predictable given given the massive size of Russia's uh, military barrage and this crazy war, it was predictable that there would be some kind of accident or incident. And now we have it.
1: And I think this is why, you know, to spin it back into politics, as we tend to do with a lot of things. This is one of the reasons I long ago said, I, I won't support any of the um, extremists on the right who are isolationists who don't want to support Ukraine and I felt it for two reasons back then one was because I believe you always you know should support in any way safest and best for your own nation another country who's under a sovereign nation under attack by a terrorist regime but two was because of this because this is global because we have partnerships in the world, and we need to help Ukraine help themselves, so it doesn't have to get into something like a World War III. And those that weren't paying attention to the realities of what is happening in that part of the world, and just wanted to bunker up in the United States and say, "Not my problem." That ignorance is proven today by what just happened. And I agree with Paul. And they are saying an errant missile. Do you go to war with NATO troops over an errant missile on the border of Ukraine? I'm glad I'm not the one making that decision, um, but. What comes next? How much farther will it go? If there is no action against Russia, do they get even more sloppy? Because there's no retribution for it. I think we're in a very dangerous position. And I continue to support the United States involvement uh, in Ukraine, protecting Ukraine and us certainly protecting NATO nations.
0: It is going to cast the discussion around Ukraine into a very interesting light because we are approaching some fiscal cliffs at the end of this year around funding for various things, including the government and also support for our allies in Ukraine and their war effort to repel the Russian invasion. And so I expect this issue obviously to be in the news a great deal in the coming days. And then as we head into December and this overall funding posture does get debated. And you have seen an increase in this strain of thought within the Republican party, especially of opposition to support for Ukraine. It seemed hopefully to be fueled somewhat by just generalized opposition to anything the Democrats were doing because we were approaching the midterm elections. I hope that that starts to ease off. And I hope that we agree to just have a a kind of a detente within our own country, um, a more of a unified posture now that we're past the silly season of the election remains to be seen. Speaking of the silly season, and that's as smooth a transition as I can possibly make from an, a deadly serious topic to a somewhat silly one. We are recording this during Kevin McCarthy's first hour of reckoning. Uh, They are right now meeting uh, the Republican caucus, such as it is, unformed as it is because we have races that are undecided at this hour, and they're meeting right now to decide on his future. These are these are fascinating meetings. Paul Hodes, I want to talk to you, first of all, just about the dynamics of these kinds of things. You've been in these rooms. This is not comfortable stuff. It's very rare to have a job promotion discussion where the people who are making the decision are kind of all giving speeches for and against you live in front of your face in a big room. That's what happens in Congress. It doesn't happen in most of our jobs. It happens here. You haven't been part of a contentious leadership struggle, but you are familiar with some of the very tense back and forth in rooms like this. How are you picturing this? Well, what what have you seen, and what kinds of things right. might be going on right now?
2: Well, first of all, um, I'll I'll just take mild issue with your assertion that I was not part of a contentious leadership struggle before you were my chief of staff. Um, uh, there was actually a leadership struggle uh, between uh, Nancy Pelosi. Um, and others who sought sought the seat. And I had received a lot of help from the Massachusetts delegation in my campaign, and they were all supporting, what's his name, from uh, Pennsylvania. Remind me. Murtha, Jack Murtha. Jack Murtha, the famous earmark king who had been able to secure literally billions of dollars for projects to nowhere in uh, Pennsylvania. He sat in his seat, Um, on the far left of the house in the way back in that last seat surrounded by his acolytes and they wanted him to be speaker and i had already uh, i i just wasn't going to go for jack murtha but i was under intense pressure i mean um i have to say my good friend my 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 good my my good friend and colleague mike capuano put the arm on me. He wanted me to vote for Jack Murtha. And he lobbied me mercilessly and helped me to believe here I was a neophyte green freshman, I still had water coming out of my gills. And and he was basically telling me that if I didn't go for Murtha, that my Congressional career was toast. So I know a little bit about these. And um, that's what's
0: happening to to Republicans right now. Correct.
2: That's what's going on in Republicans. There are strong arms being applied. There are chits being called in. There are deals being made. There are threats. There are doom and gloom scenarios. There's There's every pressure tactic that a high school political club could imagine being applied here at the highest levels of the United States government. And Kevin, and Kevin McCarthy, who's not exactly the sharpest nail in the board, um, is the subject of all this love and
0: attention. So I assume that what's going on inside the meeting right now is they're having a robust and uncomfortable and awkward, as the kids like to say, an awkward conversation in front of Kevin McCarthy. And then there's simultaneous translation going on for McCarthy, probably using pantomime and, and Legos, um, because he, otherwise he, he just would not follow this. I Wait mean, a second. Wait oh, yeah. a second.
2: Here, Breaking news. Breaking news. Repub- CNBC on MSN, 23 minutes ago, Republicans endorsed McCarthy for U.S. House Speaker. A crucial test for the embattled GOP leader, but they don't have a majority yet.
0: Well, well okay, that's so that's key, what I was gonna right? ask. Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask you, Alicia. I mean, I was gonna basically give you the straw person argument of is Kevin McCarthy really in any trouble here. And my gut was no, but now we've got this news flash. I mean, you follow these dynamics really closely. Is he in any trouble here?
1: I think at the end of the day, he's going to be speaker. I mean, this caucus vote was 188 to 31. That's obviously not enough votes to become speaker of the House. Um, And we don't have the final count on the breakdown of the House. I believe right now it's 215 Republicans. You need 218 to have the majority. You know, if McCarthy were actually to lose 31 Republicans, he's not speaker. That's not going to happen. What's going to happen is they're negotiating. They're asking for things. The Freedom Caucus has asked for a few things, one of which is that McCarthy files articles impeachment against Joe Biden. Now, does he do that? Because last I checked to have articles of impeachment, you have to have something to write on a little piece of paper, hence the article thing. And I'm not sure Joe Biden's old and and a big fat doo-doo head counts under the impeachment requirements in the United States of America. (laughs) So I'm not sure he
2: can accommodate that request. A whole new, a whole new basis for impeachment. <laughs> yes, that's Drupal called a, head.
0: Yes, that's that's known as the fecal clause of the Constitution. So, oh, um, Alicia, oh, I what, what you're not a constitutional scholar, there, Paul. Yeah. Right. Um, trust me, look it up; it's there. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's my look. Matt Gates is quoted as saying, "Under no circumstances will he support hey, Kevin little McCarthy. girls." Speaking, oh, oh no, that, listen, you <laughs> listen. Uh, wow. Shots fired from Alicia Preston. I am I am impressed. You you are you are off you're on, the, you're off on it today. today. Wow. I've
1: been off. talking way too much the last week and I just I, I I'm my brain's a little foggy. You're so getting. bear with me. My no, filter way, no is one, gone. No
0: one's disagreeing with your, your point. Yes. <laughs> no one's disagreeing with your point. Like, we, you know, Matt Gates. we haven't seen what the alternative he could vote for yet is, Um, you know, I do I do I believe a word out of that semi semi-conscious person's mouth no um d- does that mean anything that he under no circumstances will will vote for after the pressure is brought to bear does that mean anything no but it is interesting that we could be facing as as narrow as a two or three seat majority for republicans and you know if you're constantly trying to corral the Matt Gateses and there's a there's a moderate republican because there, there are a few of them left who's also said that he would rather vote for a Democrat and have a consensus speaker than vote for McCarthy. If you've constantly got to be corralling insane old gates on your right and moderate, I'd rather vote for Pelosi or, or someone else than, than McCarthy on your, on your left. I mean, if you've got that to contend with, this is just going to be an absolutely awful, unbearable couple of years for Kevin McCarthy. And it couldn't happen to a nicer guy.
1: Well, and it's actually even worse one of the other requests the Freedom caucus is making and can you just whether you like McCarthy or not can you imagine even wanting this job the other request is that they vote to change the rules so that it is easier to oust the
0: Speaker of the House if they right. so choose it's, it's called a motion to right. vacate yeah, yeah. yeah. they want to be able to kick
2: oh. they want to be able to kick him out if they get tired of
0: him. Well, what's wrong, is, what's again, wrong with that let's make let's make the analogy here too you're in a job interview and 400 people from the company crowd into a room to talk about all the reasons you should get the job and shouldn't get the job. And then they come back to you and they say you can have the job but you have to sign this part of your contract that says anytime we want we can fire you if we're just having a bad day. Um <laughs> it's it's again you know it, what goes around comes around. Um
1: if the congressional dining room ran out of honey nut cheerios and only had the plain kind I can vote you out.
0: You know the congressional <coughs> dining room, uh, Paul. Do they have Honey Nut Cheerios in there? I
2: don't believe they do. They they do have oatmeal in the congressional dining room, but no Honey Nut Cheerios. That's tragic. I yeah. got to
0: say, for those for those who believe that the food it, that the members get is actually better than what the staffers get. I don't believe that's true. It's actually, it's actually all kind of the same. If you're a run-of-the-mill tourist and you you go to the dining rooms, and now we're way, way, way off on a tangent, but
2: um, actually, Matt, you're you're wrong because here's what folks don't know. So there's this formal congressional dining room. It's the place that uh, Joe um, uh, Joe Courtney and I hid out when we were voting on TARP because we didn't want anybody to find us and make us change our votes. But next across the little hallway from the congressional dining room, there's the members only dining room and Mm -hmm. and the food there isn't bad. It's actually pretty good. And in fact, it's one of the few places where Republicans and Democrats get together and actually sit at a table and 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 break fried chicken together. Um, So it's a very special and really important part of of Congress.
0: Well, that's, you know, that is good to know that there are still some bipartisan convening places. I don't think we're going to see that many of them in the upcoming term. I think it's going to be really awkward. Uh, speaking of really awkward, um, there's the big story of the day that's yet to come, which is the announcement from Donald Trump that he's going to run for president again. Who? That is forthcoming. Well, now, first of all, You know, look, it is our job to occasionally make predictions, and there is a there is a risk. Like you know, in baseball, if you bat three hundred, if if you mess things up, seventy percent of the time, you're a hall of famer. And we do a lot better than that on this show. But Alicia, I I think you're going to have to take an L on this one. Donald Trump seems to be all poised to run for president. You thought he wouldn't. Uh, There's so many angles to go to on this. But first of all. Just, Alish, are you surprised?
1: Well, very little that Donald Trump actually does surprises me. Um, that being said, I did predict he wasn't going to run, but I have a new theory since apparently he's going to run and I've been wrong for the last You're, d- you're doubling
0: months. down on your predictions. I love it.
1: I, I'm doubling down on my predictions. Okay. What I don't believe any. Okay. I did say for 18 months, he wasn't going to run. I was apparently wrong. We'll find out in a few hours. Apparently I was wrong. I still don't think it's going to be pure. It's not going to be something like I'm running for president as a Republican nominee. I just don't buy it. By the way, the Save America PAC sent me an email and it said in the email that this speech tonight, this announcement tonight, would perhaps be the biggest speech in the history of the United States of America. It actually said that. Forget the Gettysburg Address, Yeah, I Had a Dream speech, Fireside Chat. So no, this, this tonight is the biggest speech in the, quote, history of america and then they wanted me to give him money for it i didn't do that speaking of money here's my alternate alternative theory it's got to be more than the obvious so he'll announce he's run for president running for president i was wrong but i bet he announces it's for his own party the save america party for instance because let's break this down right now the rnc is paying his legal bills the second he announces he's running as a republican for president or anything they can't pay his legal bills anymore so but if he runs for his own party he can get his legal bills paid by his sycophants millions of them who have given him hundreds of millions of dollars already so he has to have a vehicle to pay for said legal fees and he doesn't care if he screws it up in 2024 for republicans i hate to tell you guys he doesn't care about you so what if he does that he does a third party announcement that he's running for president as a vehicle to keep his minions happy and to make money to pay all his legal fees
2: I don't don't think he cares that much about keeping people happy. I do think he cares about a vehicle to pay his legal fees for all the trouble he's in. Um, And that makes an awful lot of sense. I kind of like your idea. The Save America Party, Mm. helmed by Donald Trump, send me all your money and I'll be able to pay my legal fees to prevent my persecution by the deep state of Democrats who are just out on another witch hunt.
0: Perfect. It's it's actually, it's a really, really clever idea. And I'd like to co-sign it. I can't because the other thing we know about Donald Trump is he's so obsessed with not being seen as a weak loser, which he is.
2: Loser, loser, loser.
0: (laughs) He's so obsessed with that. (laughs) He's got to know that going this route would be a guaranteed a guaranteed loser, a guaranteed failure. He would split the Republican Party. He would essentially be a third party candidate. It's it's a path that has never been successful in the history of the United States. Splitting the Republican Party up against a unified Democratic Party would be a murder-suicide pact with Republicans and would guarantee him being a loser. Paul, as always, we rely on you to be not only our former member of Congress, political analyst, but also a legal analyst. You know how much legal duress Donald Trump is under, what do you make of Maggie Haberman's theory, Maggie Haberman, the Trump whisperer from the New York Times, that the second biggest motivator for him here, besides getting the job back, is by announcing tonight he is making the pathway to getting indicted much harder on Merrick Garland.
2: Uh, that's not, that's not too far off, at least in Trump brain in, in Trump brain. Uh, he may, he might not really want the job back. Maybe he does cause he liked the power and he was able to, you know, we don't, we haven't uncovered all the theft and brazen violations of law that he committed while he was president, um, in conflicts of interest, putting that aside, um, going after a candidate for president, even Donald Trump, a unique, crazy orange cheeto, um, makes it a little more complicated for Merrick Garland and the DOJ because you're now going after a candidate for president and the candidate for president argues you're just coming after me because I'm a candidate for president and you don't like me. Um so in 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 strict legal terms, in factual terms, It doesn't do anything because we're not in a campaign season. We're not in that 60-day window um, when the DOJ backs off. But in, in, in practical terms, I think it does complicate it just a little bit.
0: So let's agree that that's one of the reasons. It's certainly one of the reasons for the timing here, because Republicans have been pleading with him, stay out. We just watched this movie two years ago where all of your bloviating about the big lie probably cost the Republicans the Senate majority in the runoff with Raphael Warnock two years ago. And now Republicans still have a chance to limit Democrats to a 50-50 split and make no mistake, 51 is better than 50. If you have 51 seats, you don't have, for example, equal splits on committees, which means that Republicans can't gum up the works in committee like they've been able to do on Democrats legislation and nominees so far in the last two years. Having 51 means that you're just a little bit less at the behest of Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin. Having 51 makes a big difference for the amount of power that Democrats could have. And Republicans have been pleading with Donald Trump, just shut up until December 7th, the day after the runoff in Georgia. Could we just ask you to shut up for like three weeks, man, is that doable for you? And he's basically said, not a chance. And he's announcing tonight. So let's agree, clearly a motivator there is trying to make it harder for him to get indicted. Alicia, let's assume for a second, and I'm sorry to do this to you, let's assume for a second that your theory, which is very clever that he's going to announce as a member of another party, isn't spot on and that he is going to run as a Republican is a Republican party about to face a schism here.
1: Well, we have a schism. I actually think more people are coming around. Let me go back to the point you made about, um, you know, Donald Trump running as a Republican though, because he knows as a third party, he can't win. He's got to know as a Republican, he can't win. If he were to get the nomination, any Democrat could win for the most part, barring crisis in the next two years of, I can't imagine because if we can't win now, every single, to my understanding, every single Trump back or Trump supporting Republican candidate in a swing district lost.
0: lost. That is correct.
1: If you cannot win now with the economy, the way it is with gas prices, energy prices, with inflation, with everything going on, if you can't win now, you are not going to win, period. End of story. It's over. He's got to know that. So why? not do this third party thing why not mess with DeSantis right he started to pick a fight with DeSantis there are polls in early states DeSantis is beating Trump in most of the early states in a Republican primary you're right he doesn't want to lose but if he's going to lose anyway he can do it without it being held against him because how could a third party win it's never been done I'm just saying if you were a rational mind it would make sense keep your financial vehicle keep your threats against Merrick Garland because you're a candidate And go third party. You'll screw it up in two years, but you don't care. You don't want DeSantis to be president because somehow that's an affront to you. So do it this way. And you're not a loser. You're a bit of a killjoy. But do you really care?
2: you know, you use two words that really have no meaning in Trump world. Those are rational and mind. Number one, he's not rational. Number two, God knows what goes on in his mind. He he does not engage in rational, linear, or even rational, holistic thinking about pros and cons in his choices. It's, I'm going to do this. I'm the biggest. I'm the best. Watch my speech. I'm gonna be the president again, because I'm Donald Trump. He's got a a he, he he's got a psychological impairment, let's just say. We won't call it a mental illness, but he is a megalomaniac. He is, he takes narcissism to a new height. He will not allow himself to think rationally about who might win, who might lose, and what his impact might be. That's not how he makes his decisions. Mm-hmm.
0: I can make a case that the Republican Party is going to be able over the next year and a half to turn the page on Donald Trump. I'm not confident about it, but I can make the case. There are several indicators. One is what you said, Alicia, that you see Ron DeSantis ahead in polling in some critical states we saw that in exit polling in the midterms in Florida, when asked if they wanted Donald Trump to run again in 2024, 60% of Republicans said no, only 33% said yes. There could be a rising tide of the kind of messaging that we're even seeing from Mike Pence, who released his new book, So Help Me God, which kind of explains my feelings about the man um he released his new book today and in it he walks this ultra fine line of praising everything that donald trump did and that they did together as president and vice president for four years up to the insurrection but he never comes out and says Joe Biden was the legitimately elected president of the United States. He's still tap dancing. But you can begin to see a line of attack from Republican competitors to Trump, which is, we love you. You are great. You did a phenomenal job. Going forward, I think that in the future, I am the best person to carry that legacy forward. Thank you for your service. And you, you could see base voters beginning to vibe with that. You certainly see the Rupert Murdoch-owned News Corp media outlets beginning to do that with their headlining over the last week. So it's possible. The argument against it is that over and over, we've seen in the last five years that the power of that unmovable segment of Republicans about half the Republican party is it's just a source of gravity in the party that's very, very hard to escape. And it it's it all sounds really good. But when it comes down to, state by state, primary by primary, where Donald Trump gets the most earned media because he's shown he knows how to generate it. He's always going to get more coverage. He's always going to get more attention. He's always going to be a lightning rod on social media. So he's going to get more media. He's certainly going to be able to raise as much money or more money than anyone else. And so he's going to be able to pay for communication as much or more than anyone else. And he has a base that is super devoted to him. That set of factors have not yet been overcome. And the Republican party, the final thing I'll say is the Republican party. It's, it's easy to forget now how unified it seemed like the, the leadership of the party was in early 2016 and late 2015 about stopping Trump go no further than the quotes from people like Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz calling him a maniac. And yet, they were not able to coalesce. They were not able to stop him. And the people who were never Trumpers got cast out, essentially, of the party. Look at where Liz Cheney is today. And so I can make the argument. I can come come up with a pretty reasonable argument that it could happen this time. But history is against it. And I, I think the proof of, of the pudding is going to be in the eating. I will believe it when I see it that Republicans can rid themselves of the specter of Trump.
2: You know, let's face it, this guy, let's give him credit. He is an evil genius. He has managed to elude uh, and escape and evade uh, all attempts to bring him down. He has appeared to be Teflon and he has gathered around him a still huge base of grassroots Republican supporters or former Republican supporters. I no longer think they're Republicans. They're now cult followers, but he's managed to, you know, he's got 10 lives. He is, he is one crazy cat, man. He, he, he manages to slip and slide. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's like, he's like black magic. He is really something.
0: But Alicia, I mean, I I just gave the argument both ways. Paul clearly weighing in on the He he's also going to believe it when he sees it. I mean, I'm going to put this to you right now. Who is going to be the nominee of the Republican Party in 2024?
1: Oh, well, gosh, that's a prediction even I'm not willing to make. But I will say this. Just in the week since the election, there has been a palpable change within the Republican Party. And it has been an obvious shift. Um, People who I know, people who held titles in campaigns in various states for Donald Trump and right up until Tuesday We're all in on Trump. We're all in on his candidates and voted in primaries to support the candidates that like Donald Trump the most. And come Wednesday morning, they're done. They're done. I had one person tell me who has never said a bad word about Donald Trump since he hit the field six years ago, seven years ago, eight, whenever it was. Um, I'm done. Trump's a cancer on the Republican Party. People who were afraid to speak out before, are speaking out now because they realize there's more people like us than like them left. So there will be a contingency of people who will go down with the ship with Donald Trump until the very last day. But I think there's a palpable change within the Republican Party from a strategic sense and from a, wait a minute, we can actually let go. We can say what we think and feel right now. We can actually let go. We've been given the okay to let go by this election turnout. Uh, So I think it's going to be different. Look, I don't know. DeSantis right now, all the hype as a potential nominee. I actually really like Mike Pence. I have no idea who I would vote for in that field. I didn't read his book. I did see his interview with David Muir. Uh, He was very direct. He called Trump reckless. He uh, talked about the danger that Trump put he and his family in and everyone in Congress. Uh, And of course, he has acknowledged Biden won. He did that in January of 2021 when he certified the election results. So uh, I think, you know, I'm not sure Pence can win because of his break with Donald Trump early on, but I think he'd give someone a run for his money. People are talking about Jeb Bush coming back. There's a bunch of names yet to get in the mix, so I don't know.
0: I think you put your finger on the problem, though, which is for Mike Pence, not sure he can win given how he broke with Donald Trump. And that's what everyone's going to have to contend with in the whole field is how do you walk the line where you somehow you're going to come under fire because you're up against Donald Trump. He is going to nickname you. He's going to put you down. He's going to criticize everything you did. He's going to make it clear that you're against him, that you're not on his team. And you're going to have to somehow find a way to bamboozle enough of the Republican base into either saying, no, 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 we're done with Trump. and We'd rather have you or to say, well, we're with Trump, but we're ready enough to move on. And the fact that he's against you doesn't change our minds. And that's Again, I, I I will believe that when I see it. Paul, I want to turn to you though for the other side of the coin. We speculated a little bit about this last week when we were talking about Democrats' leadership. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do the Joe Biden question because I think that does a disservice to Joe Biden. I think Joe Biden has proven at this point that he is a very able political leader and he is a very able politician. Whatever people say about him and Republicans Especially the MAGA types love to throw things out about him and oh boys, he's he slowed down. He's he's not this. This is a savvy politician who has gotten a ton done in two years, and who has managed a historic midterm election result that would be the envy of presidents of the last 40 years. So I don't want to do the Biden speculation. I do want to do the other positions. It looks like the Senate leadership position isn't really going to be contested. What about the future of Nancy Pelosi? Obviously, if Democrats had managed and there's still a faint 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 chance, but probably not that if they if they managed to hold a super slim majority the consensus seems to be you have to have Nancy Pelosi in place to hold that together. Let's assume that as all indications currently are that it's the Republicans who have that slim majority What's going to happen with Nancy Pelosi?
2: You know, if if the Democrats do not have the majority, Nancy Pelosi has lots of reasons to maybe stick around for two years as, as Democratic leader, but also maybe to say, um, you know, my time is, uh, my husband needs me. Um, I've served uh, long, um, long and hard, and um, I like being speaker. I don't like being the leader of the minority party. It's time for Democrats. Nancy's very smart. Maybe she says it's time for Democrats to turn a page, and uh, the three of us at the top are all uh, octogenarians, and it's time for us to look for look to to new to new leaders. Um, You know, there have been a lot of retirements among the Democrats. So the bench is is not exactly uh, I mean, there's a bench. um, But she may very well and it may very well be the right thing if she's in the minority to say, uh, I'll help out. I'm not going away. I'm not retiring. But I'm going to turn over the leadership to somebody. She may very well do that.
0: Alicia, any thoughts on the direction? I mean, we weigh in on the on the leadership of the Republican Party plenty. So I feel like turnabout is fair play here. And any thoughts on the leadership of the Democrats?
1: Look, I have no idea what Nancy Pelosi plans on doing. I think at her age, if she were to step aside from leadership and just be a member of Congress, that would probably be difficult for her having been in leadership for so long. Uh, As a Republican, part of me is like, oh, get out of there. I'm tired of her. But I have to be honest, from an outsider looking in, forget my partisanship. If I'm Democrats, I want Nancy Pelosi in charge right now. And why I want that is because there is such a narrow margin. You need someone who knows how to thread a needle, who knows how to whip people into shape, who knows how to make it work. And as much as I cannot stand giving this woman any credit, she's really good at her job. So if I'm a Democrat, I'd probably want her there for the finesse side of stuff.
0: Before we go. I want to touch on just one other issue, an interesting nugget, and I think we'll end up at some point devoting a much longer show into a deep dive on this. This was the thing that jumped out most to me out of all the post-election numbers that emerged over the course of the last week. It was a really interesting analysis, and I have to credit Politico for this. I did not compile these numbers myself. Um, it It would take a lot of time and a lot of work. So kudos to them for this. When you look at the results in the U.S. House, what you saw was that in districts where Republicans oversaw the redistricting process, Republicans won 131 seats. Democrats won only 42. In other words, Republicans got a margin of 90 seats out of all of those that they controlled. When you look at Districts where independent groups oversaw the redistricting, an independent commission, perhaps. Democrats won 67 to 31. In districts where Democrats oversaw redistricting, well, no surprise there. If you're gerrymandering one way, you can gerrymander the other way. And Democrats won there 35 to 6. Wins where a court oversaw the redistricting, that was also Democrats 57, Republicans 41. Now, I have an interpretation of these numbers. I believe that when courts oversee redistricting and when independent groups oversee redistricting, there are mistakes, there are biases that come in, but overall, you would expect that most of those district lines would be more or less fair. That would pretty much be a situation where it's it's a jump ball between the parties. And remember, states that tend to put in independent commissions or where courts get to decide, do tend to be states where there's already a little bit of a balance of power, where Democrats have had an ability to shape the process. And what you find is in those places, of course, if one party's gerrymandering, that party is going to win. But in the places where both parties have a fair shot, what you saw in this last election is Democrats getting an edge. So Paul Hodes, I mean, I imagine that you and I are more or less of the same mind on this, but how do you interpret those results? What what stands out to you? And I have to point out that you are currently on mute. It's
2: very important for Democrats to win in the census years so that we can gerrymander the districts ourselves. That's not the right answer, Paul Hodes.
1: Actually, it's the right answer because it's the honest answer, right? I mean, that's what every party wants. and Even these independent groups. I don't believe for a million years (laughs) that one person actually doesn't have an inherent bias when they're doing them. This is a no win oh, situation paul. there's always going to be bias paul what, is right what, republicans what paul, feel the same thing what, what what just, you, you just, what honest? thank you for you your honesty paul. you
2: wanted me oh to gosh. give you the talking head pundit
0: sideways spin no i just think you're wrong i just think you're flat out wrong i mean i i i the whole point of an independent redistricting commission is will they make mistakes will they occasionally put out a map that favors one part or the other? Yes, but their errors in one direction or the other are more or less gonna cancel out. And so my point about all this is, Democrats need to trust the process because if you put the redistricting in the hands of independent arbiters, you're going to do just fine. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm arguing against your position, Paul. I'm saying that Democrats need to not give in to their inner id that way. It's like, ooh, look at what happened in New York, man. Look at the karma biting Democrats in the butt. Democrats gerrymandered the ever living, you know what, out of the map in New York. What happened? Republicans sued and a court came in. They appointed a special master. That special master happened to be a Republican. They put out a map that happened to favor Republicans and that accounted for the margin in the House. We would have a Democratic House of Representatives today if Democrats had been less greedy in their gerrymandering in New York. And so, uh, my point is, Democrats, let's restrain ourselves and not do what Paul Hodes just said. Oh, you're wrong. You're wrong. And Alicia, you're wrong it. too. You're hey, both. Don't, don't
2: you want, want both third a party. Don't worry about New York. New <laughs> you're York, a hack. New York, will hack. Itself. You
1: want third party so that you can claim they're independent. Knowing as you just pointed out with the stats you gave, they actually favor Democrats. What I no, want no, is no, an no. honesty and saying a transparency.
0: Is that, what I know what's is transparent that when voters get an equal choice, lo and behold, they happen to choose Democrats. Oh, what a fun way to
1: interpret the third party favors Democrats. No, I want transparency. You know what transparency is? Paul Ho's approach. When the Democrats are in charge, they say, tough patootie tootie. We're in charge. We're going to redistrict to our favor. When the Republicans are in charge, they say the same uh, thing. It's honest. Here's
2: here's the trouble. Democrats just don't have the you-know-what's. To actually do what needs to be done. Uh, I don't know what's happening here. To (laughs) to do that. (laughs) That, I'm I'm thinking about New York. I'm thinking about the bad (laughs) results for Democrats in New York. I can't figure out why that happened. But I can tell you this. Cuomo. I can tell you this about that. I you thought was a hear this? I'm going to tell you this about that. Is there a difference between Andrew Cuomo and a mobster? Not a whole the, lot. No. The real problem is <laughs> that there's not enough graft, crime, and corruption among the Democrats. Oh my god. We gotta gosh. be. We gotta We're be going a little, totally be, off the
0: rails here. We're like clunket
1: of Tammany Hall now, or we something. Be a little I little am better telling
0: you both. Wanted to win
2: consistently.
0: I, I am telling you both that the numbers show that you're wrong. That okay. when when independent commissions do this. They favor Democrats. we got
1: it we understand where you're coming from
0: no democrats win <laughs> and the message to democrats because is they favor you democrats don't have to try to beat republicans at their own gerrymandering game if you actually take the high road on this you will do just fine and republicans will favor you because <laughs> reality has a well-known liberal bias i'm sorry that's just the way it goes but look on that happy note We are all out of time. For Paul and Alicia, I'm Matt Robeson. I'm speaking the truth. We'll see you next time on Balance. Forget about it.